What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. An Apple about face shares jumping to their highest close of the year after a major upgrade from one top analyst. But is the stock a buy here? We'll dive into the charts to find out. Plus, no soft landing. That's the warning from one top analyst on the future of the commercial real estate market. What's got him so concerned and what it means for the rest of the financial markets? And later, shares of coin get flipped after more than doubling last quarter. The stock is down nearly 30% already this year. Can the company turn this around now that Bitcoin ETFs are on the market? One of our traders hopes so. We'll see if they've changed their minds. I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off tonight with the Apple upgrade that sent shares jumping today. Analysts at Bank of America raising their rating on the stock to a buy from a neutral, saying new AI features could drive a refresh uh, iPhone upgrade cycle. The firm putting a $225 price target on the stock, almost 20% higher from here. The call sending Apple shares up more than 3% on the session, their best day since last May. But it wasn't the only tech name rocking. Shares of Taiwan Semi soaring nearly 10%, hitting their highest level in almost two years. That after the company posted better than expected revenue and profit for its latest quarter. The moves pumping a little mojo back into the broader markets with the tech-heavy Nasdaq leading the gains, pulling into positive territory for the week. But is the optimism around big tech getting ahead of itself? It feels like... It feels like, Guy, just two, three weeks ago, we were all saying, oh, nobody's going to buy a new iPhone. They're going to hold on to the devices longer. China's a real problem. You know, semiconductors have an inventory issue. And here we are. Everything's coming up roses. First of all, welcome back. Thank you. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome back. Thank you. Number one. Number two, Mojo. You look, Tim looked at me when she mentioned Mojo. When I hear the word Mojo, I think of Jim Morrison and I think of Guy's acronym. Or Friday Night Lights. Yeah. But also, so I'll answer your question. I'll play your reindeer games. I mean, Taiwan, yes, the Apple upgrade. Yes, the stock performed very well. They report on February 1st. We'll learn a lot more. Obviously, then it's still an expensive stock. Taiwan Semi is fascinating. It's all about the guide, without question. And it's an extraordinarily important company. We talk about it collectively here on the desk. But just for a little reality check. Profits were down 19% year-over-year. Profits. Last year, this time, this was a $90 stock. Today, it's a $113 stock. Now, I know it's not that easy with the math, but that's the market we find ourselves in now. A lot of people, just the enthusiasm around the guide and the importance of the company, and maybe a refresh cycle and Apple's their biggest, all those different things. But for perspective, I mean, this stock, which is still reasonable, you just have to look back and see where things were. I'll say this real quick. If you want to play in the semi-space, and we've talked about this company, Broadcom might look expensive with the price tag, a $1,000 stock. It's probably the most reasonably priced semi-stock out there. I mean, Taiwan Semi also said that they're going to uh, raise CapEx, 
which is really good for the chip equipment makers, too. I, I think it, it bodes well for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think it even bodes for Apple. And I think it bodes for NVIDIA. I mean, and if you listen to some of the analysts on the street, they, they, they basically said this was an all clear for a new multi-year cycle uh, of, of uh, essentially of semi-growth uh, with TSMC at, at the leading edge of being an AI enabler, especially in data center and, and some of their technology. People think that they are in, you know, kind of the, the generic commoditized world of chips. Um, they're really not. And there's a, it's certainly a high margin part of their business. So back to the multiple, uh, you know, depending on what you're looking at, I, I, like, I agree, semis trade at, at an astronomical multiple relative to uh, the market and to themselves. But, but Taiwan semi trades at a 32% discount to the socks. So um, it's, it's seemingly um, a must-have stock if you're going to be positioned in this part. Whether this is the time to do it, we've had different points in the last year and a half where a Taiwan semi-earnings announcement has been a very important uh, you know, moment to look at the entire industry and to look at tech spending and to look at IT overall. And I think this is one of those numbers, and I'll let Dan speak about it. I mean, there, there should be some cautions well, about know, funny. the it's outperformance of all these big cap names. Good, but. good handoff. Maybe our people can put up a chart going back to the start of 2022 or really, you know, a five-year chart at Taiwan Semi. In, in that Q4 report in January, the company made a new all-time high. It looked like it was off to the races. A lot of similar sentiments, you know, were kind of being expressed at that time. Well, the stock over the next, call it, 12 to 18 months got more than cut in half, right? Because a lot of those kind of drivers didn't come to pass. So when I think about the quarter they just reported, I think about the guide they just gave, I think about the CapEx that they just gave, it does sound good. It does sound like the narrative that data, or, well, data center, that PCs, Smart that smartphones phones. are doing a bit better, that's giving them more confidence yep. there. But these sorts of things can change fairly quickly, right? When we're talking about end markets like China, when we're talking about complex, um, you know, uh, supply chains and the like here. So to me, uh, you know, the jury's still out on this one. Closing up 10 percent is one of the largest market cap companies, in, you know, in our market. I think that coupled with the Apple upgrade and Wamsi is a very good analyst over there uh, at Bank of America. And I think it's really good that your position as a neutral where you downgraded the stock at a point for fundamental reasons. And then you have the ability or the flexibility to kind of change that. I think these things coupled together, they make a pretty decent narrative. I'm just not sure how long they're going to stick together one for one. And just to be clear, Taiwan Semi, obviously 20 percent of their business or so is Apple. So I think mm-hmm. these companies are obviously very closely tied. Yeah. Do you believe mm-hmm. the the narrative that things are actually better? I mean, in the Bank of America upgrade, part of it was better than expected or better services expected for this year, that they're going to better monetize the base, that a lot of people who hold an iPhone right now, they're old iPhones. I mean, mine's like an 11 or maybe, I don't know, nine, really old. But the majority have 13 or older. And mm-hmm. so they will have to upgrade for AI purposes if they want to participate in those features. Yes, I I believe that. The question is, what's the right price to pay? Mm -hmm. And when I think about the Magnificent Seven, even if you look at something like a Microsoft, yes, the multiple is higher, but the growth is much better. And so I think I'd rather pay for growth than pay less for, you know, Dan always, you know, talks about where is the growth here? And in fact, there hasn't really been great growth. And so I think the multiple is beyond the, the story, even if you buy the story, even if you say, okay, all of that may be. But I think that uh, it's still too expensive. Can, can, I'd rather be in the other. Let me take the other, the other side other of that. So think You're back, taking the other side, but think, I'm, yeah. I'm supporting no, you. But okay, I understand. But no, but think back, <laughs> think back to just. But if you must, go think ahead. Think back to, to just a year ago when Microsoft had only invested $2 billion in OpenAI. And they were just on the cusp of making a $10 billion investment that was going to secure this technology that they could use through their productivity tools and their, through their search. And they were going to have an ownership stake. Just think if Apple were ever to find a generative AI tool 
similar to that on their two billion installed base, on their margins that already have a really good shift away from their hard. What I'm saying is I think there's going to be other opportunities for mega cap tech companies to realize some real big gains in generative AI. And Apple, there's nothing in it for it right now. So when you think about a company expected to grow earnings and sales mid to high single digits for the next couple of years with a 45 percent gross margin that doesn't move, they will need something extraordinary on one of these new technologies. And it's not likely to be Vision Pro right now. I mean, that's one of the things you have to look beyond AR and VR and you have to think about something in general. So are you saying they'll find it? What I'm saying is they'll have to if they're going to justify trading at 30 times versus these other companies that are growing faster. Let's say it's even something not that great. But I mean, like, okay and interesting. If you are an Apple, if you're in the Apple ecosystem, it's so easy to then say, I will pay X dollars per month to right. get this AI feature. Their own co-pilot, yeah, whatever, exactly, right? whatever uh-huh. it is to help you. And I think that would be an easy monetization case. It doesn't have to be like the next great AI thing. It just has to be enough. Move the needle. Exactly. There is AI in there say, already, of course, right? Yeah, I, I mean, Siri is. Well, Siri is one of the worst products ever, I think. The <laughs> idea that it's is. so get bad. Get out there, Karen. <laughs> I mean, well, I have, I have nice to hear English, Karen actually read. I have English guy Siri. We make fun of Siri. I think he's hard of hearing, which is a really, really big problem. Your point is they've spent billions and billions on machine learning over the last 15 years. But they do. I mean, you see it in you see it in email and it suggests, you know, put in your calendar, whatever. It's already there. But you're talking about that something that that application that that is so fantastic. You pay five dollars or ten dollars a month extra for this, which will help you. And. Maybe you will. Uh, maybe I will. Apple services business benefits from people either have a, a, a cumulative effect, there's an aggregate effect, whether it's even just storage and whatnot. Uh, people don't realize, uh, and they're lazy, about the fees that they're paying to Apple, and, and they are. Uh, I don't think the, the, the story today, as much as you know, you compare semis versus Apple, I, I, I commend the upgrade because it's an analyst who's been a little bit more tactical in their Apple call, which is great. I mean, downgrades followed by upgrades, I think that's kind of interesting. Um, the multiple in Apple, to me, is the biggest challenge right now in a world where uh, they had the same AI business yesterday. I'm not sure it changed today. They're saying that the five-year historical range, 16 to 34 times, mm-hmm. um, and right now the price target implies 32 30, times. The price target the price implies. implies 32 times. Fair. I don't know if this is a joke. This guy just came on, said, on it. Siri. What did? The, yeah. The, really? the, the British Siri guy. Siri. On what? It's off. But what? Oh, this, on whatever. Yeah, that's why. I mean... <laughs> I'm, it's, the entire thing is lost on me. We've talked about this. For, I mean, Dan mentioned it, but just for the math portion, I mean, $400 billion of revenue in the, this year, 417 next year. Do the math, it's less than 5%. EPS growth, I don't know, maybe 6 7 8%-ish at max. Margins have been flatlining for a while. I mean, yes, they're install-based. With, it's 25% now services of overall revenue, which is why they get the valuation. But you tell me. I mean, this is 28 times next year's numbers for a company that's been sort of, I hate even to say it, but muddling along over the last three or four quarters. But you can believe the TSMC narrative and not believe in the Apple story, correct? Yes, because yeah. the, T, the TSMC is data center. It's leading edge other technologies. I mean, look, by the way, the numbers today also show that Intel is not closing fast on technology. I mean, they talk about uh, adoption on their, their uh, three nanometer. They talk about where Intel's actually outsourcing more of their foundries. So as much as I want to, you know, I'm an Intel shareholder as well. Um, and I, I, you know, I didn't love that announcement. But today was all about excitement you should have for tech and for tech spending. And again, getting back to the markets, the fact 
fact that semiconductors make a fresh all-time high and a new relative high to the S&P is something that's notable because that was the that was the story for 23 uh, at a time when people really felt like we needed to see a broader market. And I know we don't have that broader market participation here, but it, it's taken the market higher. Does it make you feel more bullish, Guy? Why are you laughing? <laughs> no. Like, no, of course not. No, I mean, I, I, yes. I mean, it's, everything on the – listen, very impressive day today without question. The VIX move yesterday has me somewhat concerned. Yet a spike in the VIX on a relatively benign market day. We've seen worse, and the VIX hasn't done nearly as much. So there's some things out there that definitely are concerning. But, yes, when you see this on the margins, a day like today, on the back of what Jim talked about, yeah, you can't discount it entirely. Yeah, it's funny. It's not great. So here we are, three trading weeks into the year, and we thought we were getting a broadening out, right? We thought that we saw some money in the first week of the year come out of some of this MAG-7. Now I would make the argument, and we've been talking about this, Tesla's out of there, should be out of there for good. If you just look at the way it's acting and really how they're able to kind of defend their business right now, they don't really seem to have those capabilities. But I'm looking here, energy's down in the year, basic materials are down there, real estate's down there the year, consumer discretionary down in the year, uh, industrial's down in the year, utilities down in the year. So you're not having a broadening out, you're actually having a reconcentration into back into semis and the mega cap techs because the that we're working. Because the narrative has changed in terms of the rate cuts. Yes. I mean, you had right, retail sales up on the better claims <laughs> that were that were uh, the lowest level since I don't know when. And then you have Bostic saying he doesn't see rate cuts until the third quarter. So we have this narrative once again saying no rate cuts. And so you flee into what was perceived as safety. Here we are. It feels like here we are again. I agree with that. And, and, and again, we're at six-week highs on yields and actually saw 10 years actually uh, you know, pushing up a little bit even in the after hours here. I, I think... We wanted to see market broadening, but but remember that the market that was so strong was led by you know the, the highest market cap names and 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 ultimately I st- I think the same analog will catch up to the broader weighted. I mean there are all these statistics apparently about where the underperformance of equal weighted is year to date. But but I mean think of the outperformance in the last two months of the year. I mean it's hard for me to get too worked up about stocks when in fact the the rally we had for not just Santa Claus. Um, can we? Does that bother you? So, what, you know, that's a rhetorical question. Right. What doesn't bother me? Exactly. That's a, that would be a better anyway, list. And, and, and happy New Year, by the way. But I mean, I, I do think you have a case where, you know, the, the move in stocks year to date. Yeah, I actually believe in healthcare. I believe in real estate. I believe in utilities. I really believe in utilities and healthcare and energy this year. Um, less so on real estate. But uh, I'm not sure you give up the ghost based upon this. I don't think anyone's suggesting you do. But uh, again, higher rates, higher uh, you know, outlook for the Fed is, is certainly not good for equities. Agree, although I did cover some bonds today. Um, the TLT and sold some TBT, which is the same bet, basically. Because the move in the 10-year has actually been pretty swift, pretty dramatic from 380 to almost 420. So I covered some. All right, Bank of America believes in big gains for Apple. But what do the charts say? It's time mm. to bite into the big tech technicals of a name. Our next guest says is about to fall from the tree. The chart master, one and only Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting, joins us now. Carter, what are you looking at? Well, we can get right to the charts if you want. But, I mean, you you referred to as a group, Apple's sort of muddling along. Apple's relative performance to the market actually peaked five quarters ago. Let's look at this first comparative chart, just two lines. So this is, again, from the end of September uh, 2022 to present. Um, the tech sector is up more than 100% versus Apple. One's up 25, uh, Apple, the other's up um, more than 50. Now, that's a problem, meaning its stock is up, but you're underperforming other choices. That's the definition of no alpha. The other way to look at this is instead of two lines, 
one line. The next is a relative chart. It's a ratio chart. It's simply Apple's relative performance to the S&P. And you can see where that vertical line is drawn. That is the peak. It's 27 September 2022. And since then to right now, again, Apple has done half as well as any other choice that one could have made by buying the tech sector. And there's some autocorrelation there because Apple's a part of the tech sector. So if you took it out, Apple's relative performance is even worse. Um, but the chart itself, let's just end with that. Um, Apple here and now, I've got a sideways arrow for a reason. I, I think it's a pair of twos. Um, at some point, having underperformed to such an extent, yes, you can get a news-related pop, such as you saw today. Uh, but the burden of proof remains on the bulls. The bears simply have to point to it's done half as well as the tech sector since Q3 2022. At the same time, Carter, you still like semis. I do. And guess what? Sometimes you just stick with what's working, right? So uh, semis have exhibiting impressive relative strength. NVIDIA broke out from its range uh, two weeks ago, and now you're seeing the SOX and the SMH also moving to new highs. All right. Carter, great to see you. Thank you. Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting, which goes back to our original conversation, which is you might like one story, but mm -hmm. not like the other. And, and that's what Carter sees here in the chart. I think it's fair. I mean, Tim, you asked Tim that question. He answered it, I think, the way Carter answered it as well. You don't have to, by definition, if you love Taiwan Semi, you don't have to love Apple, although you could do both. I do. Th listen, I think Apple's expensive. I think there have been periods of time where Apple does sell off. The last two times we've seen sell-offs, if our crack staff in EC can look at it, go back in October, we traded down to and held the 200-day moving average and bounced. And that's exactly what we did recently off those couple of downgrades. So technically, it's actually traded relatively well the last few months. Let's see what happens in earnings in a couple yeah, weeks. And listen, there's other names in the semiconductor space that maybe we haven't been talking a lot about. If you think about, okay, if smartphones are bottoming, then Qualcomm. You know, Apple's a 27% customer. Samsung's a 21% customer. Your Xiaomi is 21% customer or something like that. They got a great you know, phone going on over there. And so you say to yourself, okay, well, if phones are going to be the next like kind of product offering where these things are demonstrated, because that's really, this is the generative AI stuff that you're going to be using, then there's going to be upgrade cycles for the chips before people really start focused on the phones. And that's a relatively cheap stock. And, you know, it's got a good balance sheet and the like. So that would be one I'd focus on this year a little bit. All right. Coming up, out-of-pocket pain, health insurers dropping hard as medical costs creep higher. The impact on earnings and the prognosis for the rest of the year next. Plus, Coinbase's crypto hangover. We are one week into a Bitcoin ETF world, but shares of coin haven't joined the party. How the new funds are impacting the crypto exchange when Fast Money returns. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee, right here on CNBC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. 
When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Humana plunging today, hitting its lowest level in nearly two years. The move coming after the company warned that higher medical costs would hit its bottom line. The news echoing a similar sentiment from United Health last week and taking down other insurers, too. Let's bring in CNBC's Bertha Coombs for a checkup on these <laughs> names. Bertha. You know, Melissa, until now, Medicare Advantage has been a growth juggernaut for United Health and Humana and others. That trend is looking a little more challenged right now. Like United Health did last week, Humana says that higher inpatient costs and outpatient surgery volumes drove their medical loss ratio, in their case, up to 91.4 percent late in the quarter. Now, that's how much of the premium that they spend on medical care. That 91.4 percent is about 240 basis points above what the consensus is and over six points higher than what UNH saw in its fourth quarter, which was higher than expected. UNH has its own outpatient surgical centers, so that might have helped them lower their costs. But unlike United, Humana is also lowering its full-year 2023 earnings outlook and says this could weigh on 2024 results. On top of that, Humana is warning of lower growth during the recent Medicare Advantage open enrollment period. So they're now projecting just 1.8 percent Medicare Advantage growth this year. And, and a note again, uh, that number just surprised me, that nine handle on the medical loss ratio. It's exceedingly rare, apart from some of the smaller Medicaid insurers, according to CFRA data. And analysts at Stevens tell me that it's been about 10 years since one of the major health insurers has notched an MLR of 90 percent or more. Melissa? Wow. Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs. Um, so it's, it's almost like looking at it's basically how much per dollar they spend, right? Exactly. 91 cents on the dollar they spend right. to cover costs. Yeah. And so the margins are thinner. And Bertha was trying to convey mm -hmm. the magnitude yeah. of a, that miss is really enormous. I mean, that that is so much of their profit, right? So they have the MLR. That's what they spend on medical loss ratio. Then they have other expenses, leaving a very slim margin, but on a giant number. So a miss like that is so big, it does make you wonder, okay, are they kitchen sinking this MLR look for next year? I mean, they're experiencing it for sure, so they're seeing it, but are they, are they projecting forward that it'll continue to be that bad? I think maybe they are kitchen sinking it a little bit. Also, the AEP, the annual enrollment period that she talked about, that was disappointing for them. So a lot going wrong, and remember, they've already been hit once on UNH. Right. So now they're getting hit harder even I don't own Humana. I own Elevance, which got hit uh, somewhat today as well. They're reporting on the 24th. This sort of intrigues me. I think I think it could be a, a little bit of a uh, kitchen sink. So maybe I, a yeah, maybe look at. Yeah. I, I mean, this is a three day one, uh, three day rule here. But um, I'm intrigued. But when are we going to get these numbers? I mean, aren't these guys reporting actual the, the fourth quarter numbers in, in, in another week or so? Yes. I mean, I, and, they, and, they, I, they better not be different than this. Right. That would be terrible. That would be so dumb and terrible. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I don't know what. But it so, feels like it's setting you setting you up for, you know, again, uh, concern about whether the adjusted 23 numbers are going to get knocked down. But certainly as you look to 24. So, I mean, they're, they're calling for 37 bucks, I think, on adjusted uh, EPS in, in 2025. Um, and, and uh, you know, that's something that I think analyst community is going to start to do right now. That's what was going on today. I think you wait until you get more. Information. You look at UNH reported on the 16th. They had, it's obviously very similar, but they had obviously the stock sold off. But then the analysts came around and said, you know what, we understand what's going on. The average price target is probably close to $600 now. I think I saw a 610 Flip side of the coin, UNH was now at trading levels we last saw in June of last year. They have seemingly a lot more problems than UNH does. And this is, I think, from my opinion, the have and have nuts. UNH is holding ground here. Humana's breaking ground here. And this level that we held today on 9 million shares is a good sign. Go back to January 22 if you want a real level. 365, that low we made then. I don't know, given everything that Bertha just said, that seems to be in the crosshairs. All right, there's a lot more Fast Monday to come. Here's what's coming up next. Is there space for Coinbase? One week into Bitcoin ETF trading and shares of the crypto exchange have been feeling the heat, where investors are choosing to go for their Bitcoin fix. Next, plus cracks in commercial real estate, the wall of debt coming due, and whether there's any opportunity in the sector. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been one week since the debut of those long-awaited Bitcoin ETFs. The funds reportedly attracting nearly $2 billion in collective flows over their first three trading days. But crypto exchange Coinbase hasn't felt the buzz. After rallying along with the entire crypto space at the end of last year, it is down more than 28 percent already in 2024. So with all these new Bitcoin ETFs on the street, is there still room for Coinbase? Tim, you own it. You thought it'd be okay. You think it will still be okay? Yeah. I, look, uh, to me, Coinbase is the on-ramp for digital uh, world, especially for people that are early adopters, and that's been proven so far with Bitcoin. There's an element of just you know the, the position they play custodially and otherwise with ETFs and some of their market intel. But to me, it's really about them being in the position for the widening of the industry. Um, this is a stock that's you know it, I don't know it went up two and a half times during during this this run up and something that I, it, the pullback's not surprising. Look, you've seen Bitcoin pullback too. You've already seen outflows from GBTC. You've seen you know there's a lot of impact for this. But does, is Coinbase less important of a company today than it was before the Bitcoin ETF? I think not. I actually think, again, you're, you're bringing more regulation, you're bringing more institutionalization into it. And, and right now, they at least outside of the ETF community is how people are getting exposure. But if you're somebody who wants an on-ramp, who needs an on-ramp, isn't it much easier to go into your Charles Schwab account or whatever it is, Fidelity and 
buy an ETF. But 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 I mean, Bitcoin's already gone up three thousand percent. I mean, what's the next one? And what are other places? And I, you know, you've seen uh, the money that's been made actually this year and for the last six months in in the much broader you know currency. And we can go into the next top ten. Um, I mean, that's really where I think money has been made. And again, I'm talking about the kind of money that was made over the last five years. Yeah, and but there might not be any other ones. I mean, think about it. Bitcoin is nearly a, you know got to a, a trillion ish or so. It was higher at another point you know a couple years ago. But go back in Coinbase and look in 2021. And they had nearly $8 billion in revenues. I think close to 90% of those revenues came from trading fees. So there was a frenzy, and there's a frenzy in lots of other coins, right? And so to Mel's point, if you want exposure to what you think is the, the kind of the one thing, you're probably going to do it in your trusted brokerage account through a trusted... Um, for free, right? Right now, for free. free. So, you know, to me, I look at in Q3, I think, um, and and again, Coinbase is expected to have half the revenue in 2023 that they had in 2022, um, or 2021, maybe like 3 billion or so. Uh, I think in Q3, 53% of their, um, uh, you know, came from trading fees of their their revenue. So it is dispersing. That could be a good thing to your point about custodial services and and the like here, but it just, it it seems to me they're gonna lose a lot of business uh, for people who want exposure to this asset class, they're gonna do it in an IRA, so, uh, in, in an ETF. So, so it's important to point out that I don't, I don't think I'm going to die on the Coinbase Hill here. Um, <laughs> and, and in fact, I've, I'm actually up on the trade. And I think it's actually something where, um, did, did we... Ten days ago, though, know that the Bitcoin ETF was going to be approved? No. I mean, it was always expected. Um, so this price action to me is a function of some of that. But if you were selling uh, Coinbase because Bitcoins are going to steal their thunder, I think you should have been selling it, you know, from 80 down to 40, not from, you know, anyway. I just think it's a question of valuation. I don't even know. I mean, it's a negative value, whatever the number is, but losing money. It, it's hard to see how they get here uh, to this valuation with, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know, that this with revenue going the way it is, margin pressure the way it is, I don't, I don't get it from a valuation standpoint. Yeah, but yes, yeah, all those yeses. But I mean, this is a stock that was a $35 stock a couple of years ago, up to 180 The level that it traded up to was the same high we made in March of 2022. We talked about it a week and a half or so ago. It made sense to stop there. You're looking for an entry point at this, at this level, I think. And $10 from here-ish, maybe 15 that 110 level, was the high we made last July. So go back and look. That's your entry point. All right. Would you rather buy $1,000 oh. worth of Coinbase right here at $124 or $1,000 worth of Bitcoin in an ETF in your IRA and set it and forget it? I'm just saying, I think... I'd probably be. Set it I think I'd be the Bitcoin. I think I'd buy the Bitcoin. Oh, but again, the set it forget it's important. But I no, mean, but my, my, my main point here is Coinbase was a proxy for Bitcoin until we had these ETFs for, for all intents and purposes. Well, look at the run up that it had from, you know what I mean, over the last few months or so. You didn't throw a flag on Dan. He self would you rather and then answered his self. Well, and I went over time. Rhetorical would you rather. Oh, he okay. sort of threw it out there. Yeah. And sort yeah. of like. You know, around the horn. You know, it would be cool. It would be cool if Mel could throw the flag. She should have a flag. Should, or, or, or better, a flag. or better, okay. because we're an internet. We have such an international audience. We should go with a yellow. No, card. no, no, no. A yellow no, card. No, and then, no, no, no. You know why? No. Because you'd be getting a no. red card, pal. I would be. Right? But so, so think about the absurdity of a red card. You look at somebody wrong to get a red card. It's a fugazi okay, sport. Okay, so now okay? we're getting into the fact that I soccer mean, players basically they, now you're they, doing a flop they explode on, yeah. on oh, contact. It's just. I mean, I know Wilf is watching right now, but please. Wow. <laughs> coming up, we the went. wall of debt coming for commercial real estate. Why our next guest sees big problems in store for the space and how it could be an even bigger opportunity. We'll dive in. And investors unplugging from EV stocks. The sentiment starts to sour. The new downgrade on Rivian and the future of the electric trade ahead. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money in two.
Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, rallying into the close. The Dow jumping more than 200 points, snapping a three-day losing streak. The S&P up about nine-tenths of a percent. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq leading the gains up 1.3 percent. Shares of DraftKings jumping more than 7 percent today after Flutter Entertainment, the parent of rival FanDuel, posted results. Flutter saying U.S. gaming revenue grew 26 percent year-on-year. And Discover Financial sinking nearly 11 percent after posting mixed Q4 results last night. The company reporting a decline in earnings as it took a large provision for potential loan loss um, it also took down Capital One Financial, Synchrony Financial. There is a real concern about credit quality in the consumer getting worse. All right. So the net char- we talked about this last night briefly. Net charge offs up to 4.11%. It had a two-handle prior. It doesn't seem like a big deal. It's a big deal. But more so was the guide somewhere between 4.9% and 5.3% for the remainder of the year. That obviously speaks to a certain consumer. I get it. I don't want to sort of connect too many dots, but let's see what Capital One says, I think, on the 24th, and then let's see what American Express says on the 26th. Historically, this has been sort of one of those warning signs you want to look for, and they fired a warning sign last night. What I thought was interesting was that in their, in their deck, they cited higher delinquency rates among recent vintages. So the newer customers came in. It's a nice way to look at it, to Vintage. describe them. Vintages, right, yes. right. But, you know, in terms of, like, the, the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about it, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to pay off your credit card to have a good credit score when it's 0%. And so the people mm-hmm. who are more recent probably have a, you know, there's an element of, of credit rating um, inflation. Adverse selection here. as well, is that what you're saying? Maybe. Uh-huh. Um, it, I mean, it's concerning for sure. It's not, I mean, city... When they reported, they, it, this was not flagged as an issue for them. So that's a higher quality customer. You point out Discovery nearer to the bottom, Capital One a little better, and then um, American Express, a very, very different right. customer. We'll see. That was down today as well. Not surprisingly, it should be if there is any whisper of credit concerns. But um, to me, I still think that this will be somewhat bifurcated. Yeah. Moving on here, the commercial real estate industry facing a record amount of maturing loans with $1.2 trillion in debt coming due through 2025 and higher refinancing costs expected to weigh on borrowers' ability to repay. In a recent note to clients, Oak Tree Capital calling the wall of CRE debt the most acute area of risk right now. For more on where the industry stands, let's bring in Jade Romani. He's managing director at KBW, a Stiefel company. Um, Jade, great to have you with us. Um, you don't think there's a soft landing ahead, but what does this landing, quote-unquote, look like then? And how does it play out in the stocks you cover? Well, commercial real estate is in the crosshairs. And for 2024, we do see turbulence. For you Taylor Swift fans, I would say, no, we're not out of the woods yet. We see further pressures on asset values down around another 5 to 10% for accumulative 25 to 30%. And that will lead to credit pressures. There's 1.2 trillion of that maturing over the next two years. And lenders are pulling back, including the banks as well as the non-banks. Fundamentally, right now, the CRE math is broken with asset yields below borrowing costs, resulting in negative leverage. And therefore, this issue is going to come to a head. We're cautious on the commercial mortgage REITs in particular. So I was looking at your coverage universe, and, and all of your stocks have a market perform rating or higher. None of them really reflect the sort of real concern that you have. Why, why is that? Is it just that you, you tend to cover a higher quality group? Or 
Um, are they somehow managing to buffer themselves against this? Well, it's a mix of factors. On the commercial mortgage REIT side, you know, the stocks are trading at approximately 80% of book value versus historical closer to one times book value. So there's already some discount factored in, roughly 2 to 4% losses. We do have two underperformed ratings on CMTG and GPMT, but I would say we're not really recommending any stocks in the space. They also pay robust dividend yields. And while there could be dividend pressures, when we think about having more sell ratings, more underperform ratings, we would need further downside. We would need to assume some dividend cuts. So that's really why we have a neutral uh, rating outlook. But within KBW's sector uh, coverage, we do rate the commercial mortgage REITs as an underweight sector. And it's uh, commercial real estate finance is last of the sector weightings we recommended for 2024. It's Karen. Thanks for being on. So we're, we've seen this sort of iceberg coming for a while now, and we haven't yet seen uh, a ton of there's been a few big sort of bankruptcies, people just turning the keys back. How many years of sort of, you know, rough going do you think it will be to clear up this tremendous overhang of commercial debt, commercial real estate debt? It's, that's a great question. It's going to be multiple years because approximately 10% of the $5.8 trillion of debt outstanding matures each year. So there's a long cycle to this. And on the office leasing side, the leases tend to be 5 to 10 years on average. So you have about 12% of leases coming due each year. However, there was a record amount of debt issuance during COVID. And so we have a lot of floating rate debt coming due in the next two to three years roughly $1.2 trillion this year and next. So I think that uh, given the outlook for 2024 and 2025, we think the issue will come to a head uh, in the more near term. Um, three of your top picks are home builders, Horton, Lennar, and Toll. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, in an environment where it seemed like rates are going down, uh, you know, they looked great, but in an environment where rates may stay higher for longer, um, does that change your outlook at all, or is it all about just the inventory problem? I would say inventory trump, trumps rates. We actually came out with the 2024 outlook for housing in which we expect the existing home market to be flat and home prices to remain high. So that actually creates an opportunity for home builders. You know, over the last 10 years, their market share was around 9 to 10% and has recently increased to close to 15%. And we see them being able to maintain that 15% or higher market share um, and offer mortgage buy-downs as a way to help uh, bridge the gap for their customers. This results in, I would say, consistent gross margins, but strong sales, which re will result in earnings and book value growth for the sector. So we are recommending the home builders. Jade, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Guy. Karen would have thoughts on this. Simon Property, look at the move since October. It's up 40 percent, which is remarkable. I mean, that's all on the back of interest rates without question. Maybe it was oversold. It's still in an eight-year downtrend. They report, I think, on February 5th. It's going to be really interesting to see what they have to say, because quite frankly, the stock makes people believe things have improved. But if things improve that much, so look at SPG in a couple of weeks for sure. You were in and then out of some of these REITs? Yes, I was, Bornado and um, uh, BXP, which Boston Properties. I still have some Boston Properties left. It's really a rate play. They are the sort of blue chip of all of them, and Bornado out. 
Yeah, you've seen uh, also a, a lot of these REITs actually did take advantage of what was going on in the last, let's call it three months of rates coming down. In fact, they rushed into the market. They they were able to. But I, I think, as just was pointed out, I mean, there's there's an inevitability. Uh, there's also a structural element of a lack of how the model works. In other words, uh, these break evens and, and, and you know, essentially uh, these spreads are in question. And I think uh, whether we have the kind of crash that people think could happen, um, I just think that the best days, at least for the foreseeable, are over. I want to be clear, I loved our guest. It was fantastic. Mm. The Taylor Swift stuff, does she have to make her way into every facet of American life? She has now made her way into the vernacular of fast Well, you certainly cemented that. I mean, we could have just I let that one go. It. Well, I, I, that went over my head and I let it go. Now you brought it back. I mean, here we are talking about it. She's watching yeah. right now. You have now. a jacket? Yeah, you, do you have a, For who? Well, For Taylor Swift. Do you have like a... No. Haters going to hate. Haters going to hate. Shake yeah. it off. Coming guys. up. <laughs> Tesla and Rivian doing the electric slide lower all year long. The stock's barely able to pull off an update so far this year. Is there any hope left in this trade? We'll plug back in next. Plus, a lifeline for the luxury trade. Cartier parent Richemont surging. A sales pickup in China. But is it too early to give the all-clear for high-end retail? We'll dive into the numbers and the potential warning sign for the space right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. A buzzkill on Rivian and Tesla. Both stocks in the red today, down between almost 2 to 6%. It's been a cold January for the two EV makers. Rivian with just one positive day for the year so far, and Tesla not doing much better with just two positive days so far in this year. I feel like i got to go to Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. We've, we've been talking about the quarterly reports. Last three quarters, the stock has sold off. This is Tesla, 9% the day after. So whatever investors expected, what they got, and what was guided to, and what they heard on the call, they were not happy the last three quarters. Um, a 9% move on a $700 billion market cap company is a considerable move, okay? So when you look at the way the stock has acted now over the last three weeks, down 20% in what feels like a straight line, I think there's been one or two up days in this entire year, you say to yourself, well, sentiment's not particularly good going into the print. So whatever they have to say can't be as bad as what the stock said. So it, it sets up as a really difficult setup. But that being said, you know, if investors are not willing to buy it after no matter what they guide to, like this could be a pretty disappointing thing. I think they had a really bad fundamental year last year, but the stock did well. But if you look at where the stock was, it just got back to where it was, you know, like in, in uh, 2022 at some point. I mean, you still you sort of have to believe that margins have found some sort of a bottom in order to be bullish of the story. But, you know, there was an article today pointing out that there's price inversion. So if you take a look at the Model Y and the Model 3 in in many cases or in cases that were cited here, including the incentives, um, you can get a Model 3, you can get a Model Y for cheaper than a Model 3. So Model 3 is more expensive. And so the margins could feel even more pressure. So that's not good news for this story. No, and, and it's not good news if there's some sense that the, the macro around EV right now is, and I realize there's always too much hype in any direction. There's no question there's more EV adoption every day. Question is, have we gotten a lot of the earlier adopters out of the way? And there's, there's certain people that at least right now, as long as there's gas in, in a gas station, they're never going to buy an EV car. We're learning, though, that hybrids are, are you know, clearly a model um, that are working, especially for people like BYD, who are stealing, you know, I think some of the thunder right now. So that's really the story. And I think that's the story that plays back into the stock because margins have been shrinking, even though they've been growing outside of everyone other than BYD. Coming up, luxury check-in. High-end luxury may be regaining its luster, and it's catching the eye of investors. We'll discuss the good and the bad next. More Fast Money in two. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. A mixed day for high-end retail. Richemont shares soaring, after, uh, soaring double digits after posting strong China sales. Meanwhile, watches the Switzerland plunging more than 33% today on a guidance cut. CNBC's Robert Frank has more. Robert. Melissa, Richemont shares up 10%, pulling up the rest of the sector today. Sales were up a better than expected 8%. And there were two big drivers, China and jewelry. Sales in China, Macau, and Hong Kong up 25%. That was a huge surprise given the weak economic data out of China just this morning. Richemont's CFO saying on the call that, quote, overall, I'd say the China business is rebuilding. So that's good optimism for investors here. Jewelry also strong, led by its Cartier brand. Jewelry sales up 12% driven by U.S. buyers. Watches, though, were still weak. It's brands like Vacheron, Panerai, and uh, IWC. Those sales growing only 3%. Meanwhile, watches of Switzerland, they sell Rolex and other high-end brands in the UK. They saw its stock drop more than 30% on a profit warning. Meanwhile, shares of LVMH and Caring traded higher on the Richemont results. We're going to get a better look next week, Melissa, when LVMH, of course, the dominant luxury company, reports on Thursday. All right, Robert, thank you. Robert Frank, what was Karen's uh, acronym Helm. Helm. Yes. Helm. Right. At helm. At the helm. With an M. At the helm. And yeah. an L. And an L, right. Stands Thank for you. LVMH. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, LVMH. So did she, hold on, did you play the game right? I did. Well, no, yeah, I cheated no. a little. Uh, I had healthcare and, ener- yeah. and yeah. energy. Yeah, okay. Half, yeah. Half right. Disappointing. Anyway. Which is failing, basically. You, but you've anyway. been here a long yes, time. You should know I know. Better. I know. Zach, what can I tell you? Um, so, Louis Vuitton. I mean, I was, I was happy to see this. Part of the story of Louis Vuitton is somewhat of a China turnaround. Um, great that Richemont had good numbers. It's not the biggest uh, sector for LVMH. Uh, luxury, you know, handbags would do much better. Uh, would love to see big numbers there. But it's good to see, I think, you know, um, Swiss watch, they have a different issue. Rolex is going away. They're doing their own thing. That's going to be a huge loss for them. We need more momentum, though. It's been a very tough beginning of 2024 for the luxury space. Well, I need to point out that the E in bicep is Estee Lauder. And if we've got a recovery in China, luxury and cosmetics and whatnot, um, that thing's going to rip. <laughs> he needs to point that out. That thing's gonna rip. Everybody knows that, Tim. Please. It's going to rip. Up next <laughs> Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Love the news out of Flutter as it relates to DraftKings profitability in online sports betting. Yes, there is. Karen. Yes, well, I spoke about it earlier. It's been a big move in the 10 years, so I am covering my TLT. Dan. Yeah, Rivian is in my what, Zebra acronym. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that thing in the low teens looks interesting. Guy. Welcome back, Melms. I hope you're able to stay up tonight to watch the Rangers take on... No. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is. I don't stinks. want to, and I'm doing Squawk Box tomorrow. Oh, well, oh, good for them. Lucky them. McDonald's, MCD, thanks. breaking out. All right, thanks for watching Fast. See you on Squawk Box tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.